I have a question for you. Have you done something recently that you really wish you hadn't done? Like yell at your child or at your partner for no good reason, or said something embarrassing to your boss or in a meeting, or maybe, I don't know, ate too much cake. And what did you do in those moments? Did you give yourself a hug and some reassurance? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, probably not. If anything, you probably doubled down. Welcome back to Health Bite, my podcast where I offer you small, actionable bites towards healthy weight and weight management through greater mental, emotional, and physical well-being. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Udeem, and I created this podcast as an alternative to the noise to offer you knowledge-based guidance in the areas of nutrition, fitness, habit change, and mindset that I use with my patients in my medical practice every day to help them achieve healthy weight and health. So this week, I want to talk about the downside of not giving yourself a break and also what we can do to change how we respond to our insecurities and to our imperfections. I'm pretty lucky to do the work that I do. As a physician, I basically get to talk to people all day long. And when you talk to people all the time, you start to notice some patterns. And so one of the patterns that I'm always struck by is how very hard we are on ourselves. Of course, we're hard on ourselves when it comes to our weight and our bodies, on what we ate and didn't eat, if we worked out or didn't, if we lost or gained weight. This is what I commonly hear about as a weight loss physician. But as you can imagine, this is nothing to help the weight loss process. And in fact, it seriously gets in the way. But more broadly, we are just hard on ourselves, period. And that ends up impacting not only our weight too, but our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. The worst part is we are hard on ourselves, particularly in the very moment that we could use some TLC. When we make some mistakes, when we come short, when we experience our imperfections and limitations or insecurities, what do we do? We don't offer ourselves comfort in those moments. We don't cut ourselves some slack as we would a friend. We double down. We're even harder on ourselves precisely at the moment when we need to be kind, calling ourselves names, ruminating and reviewing what we did wrong, questioning why we didn't do it differently over and over and over again. And so what happens then? Well, we're basically fueling the fire. The thing itself, the imperfection or limitation, feels bad enough as it is. But when we get down on ourselves for doing the thing we felt we shouldn't have done or could have done differently, we feel bad, really bad. And that feeling makes us want to soothe. Difficult feelings and emotions make us want to soothe. And so how do we do that? We can soothe with temporary feel-good substances like alcohol, smoking, or other drugs. We can soothe ourselves by distracting from the difficult emotions like shopping, gambling, scrolling on social media, overworking. Or, as like I, t- I like to tell my patients, if you're a goody two-shoes, the answer is food. 
Food is easy, it's accessible. It gives us a temporary feel-good dopamine hit. And so it makes food the perfect way to temporarily soothe our upset. And if we do this enough times, we train our minds to use food as a tool to soothe. Except, of course, it really doesn't. Because that hit is temporary. And it doesn't even scratch the itch. The upset is still there. And so we keep going back again and again for more and more despite our best attempts. So let's talk about another way. There is another way, a better way to soothe the upset that is far more effective and durable. And that is self-compassion. Now, before you shut off this podcast and roll your eyes indefinitely, give me a minute. Let me win you over with a self-compassion practice. Why? Because this isn't just kumbaya. This isn't just something that we preach. It is actually an evidence-based strategy, not only towards better mental and emotional health and well-being, but also an evidence-based strategy to help achieve our goals and help effectively engineer habit change. What does that mean? That means when we can gain or when we can engage in a self-compassion practice in those very moments in which we fail or come short, we are more likely to be able to get back on track, dust ourselves off and get back on our feet and get back to the work at hand, achieving those goals, getting behind those habits in a durable way. Whereas when we don't approach our limitations and shortcomings with self-compassion, when we double down with the negative self-talk and self-hate, we are much more likely to fall off the wagon for good. We're much more likely to not get back in the game and therefore lose sight of our goals. So self-compassion, you see, is not only the kinder way of approaching ourselves, but it's the more effective way of approaching ourselves, our habits, and our goals. So first things first, what is self-compassion? Self-compassion essentially means being kind and understanding when we face our insecurities, imperfections, limitations, and shortcomings. Instead of being judgy, and criticizing ourselves, it is being kind and understanding. According to Kristen Neff, who is a professor of psychology and a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, there are three aspects of self-compassion. The first is self-kindness, not self-judgment. So basically, when we suffer, when we feel insecure, inadequate, or come up against a failing or a shortcoming. Rather than ignoring our pain, rather than criticizing and judging ourselves, it is approaching ourselves with kindness, warmth, and understanding, with a self-compassionate stance. Number two, 
understanding our common humanity. We are not the only people or the only person who experiences imperfections and suffering. We are not the only person who made a mistake. We are human and humans by definition are imperfect and make mistakes. So understanding our common humanity allows us to take a more self-compassionate approach to ourselves and knowing that we're not alone. Not only are we not alone, but even those people that we look up to, our mentors, um, the people we aspire to be like, the actors, the actresses, the people that we hold in the highest regard, they all experience the same suffering, failings, and inadequacies. And understanding our common humanity is the next step that allows us to engage in self-compassion. And finally, approaching ourselves with mindfulness, approaching our limitations and insecurities with mindfulness and not over identification. We are not our imperfections. We are not our shortcomings. We are humans that are imperfect by definition. So self-compassion requires us to be mindful without catastrophizing our inadequacies, without over-identifying with them, and taking a balanced approach to our negative emotions. This means not squashing them, not brushing them under the rug, but also not exaggerating and over-identifying with them. So again, three components of a self-compassion practice. Number one, self-kindness, not self-judgment. Number two, understanding our common humanity. And number three, being mindful, not over-identifying with our shortcomings. Now that we have the kind of definition and the components of a self-compassion practice under our belt, let's talk about some exercises that will help us to cultivate a self-compassion practice. Because oftentimes people will say, oh yeah, I can do that for myself. I can be compassionate to a friend. I can offer kindness and understanding to my child, but I can't do that for myself. And so this is a practice that requires cultivation. It requires practice in order to cultivate the ability to be kind, understanding, and self-compassionate. And so the first practice is seeing yourself as you would a friend, because that's exactly what people say. I can do it for a friend, but I can't do it for myself. So think about how you would approach a friend. Think a moment in time in your life in which you suffered a limitation or an insecurity. Now that you have conjured up this memory, think about how you would treat a friend. What would you say to that person? Would you remind your friend that we are all imperfect? Would you remind your friend that as much as 
he or she may have catastrophized that insecurity or uh, failing, that it's not the end of the world. What would you say to that person? If you can't think of what you would say to yourself, think about what you would say to a friend who is struggling. Now, once you have kind of assumed that role, that friend role, and also engendered those feelings of love and care and positivity towards the friend, that feeling of compassion that almost automatically arises when you see another human being suffer, can you take those feelings of compassion and understanding and now turn it towards yourself? This can be a really powerful way of cultivating self-compassion for oneself. And that is seeing yourself or viewing yourself as you would a friend. And then turning that light of kindness and self-compassion inward. Now, I want you to double down on this practice. As you are thinking the way you would, or as you are saying to yourself what you would tell a friend, try this. Close your eyes, put one hand over your heart, and put the second hand over your first and give it a little squeeze. I want you to do it like, like right now. If you're driving, then maybe wait until you're at a red light and don't close your eyes. <laughs> but try this. Try putting one hand over your heart, the second over the first, and give it a squeeze. Now dig into that feeling. This can be a very effective way of, of providing yourself a little micro break, a little bit of TLC. And in doing so, we actually can help release some of the positive feel-good hormones like oxytocin that we get when we give or offer touch to others. We can offer it towards ourselves. So the first Self-compassion exercise is viewing yourself as you would a friend, and then for extra brownie points, giving yourself a little self-compassion squeeze by encompassing your own heart with your own hands and self, self sense of touch. The second self-compassion exercise that I want to offer is a writing practice. As I have mentioned on this podcast multiple times, writing is a super effective way of evaluating your thoughts and feelings and processing your thoughts and feelings. A writing practice has actually been shown to reduce anxiety, ruminations, and feelings of depression. And be gentle on yourself because sometimes a writing practice can bring up difficult emotions. And if you find that's the case, then go softly, go gently and seek the help of a professional if needed. But in this instance, I want you to engage in a self-compassion writing practice. And by doing so, I want you to once again, conjure up a moment in time in which you felt inadequate something that's not too heavy duty, but a moment that you felt yourself come across an imperfection or a failing. And 
remember, we all have these. So don't go down that road of self-flagellation. Conjure that moment to mind. Notice what you feel and allow yourself to feel those emotions. Now write down what comes up. Write down the feelings. Write down the emotions. Write down even the things that come to mind in terms of what you would normally say to yourself. Now, I want you to write a letter to yourself from the perspective of a friend. How would you respond to a friend who had these emotions? What would you tell this friend from an unconditionally loving place? How would you respond to these shortcomings or inadequacies? Can you show yourself the same understanding? Can you remind yourself as a friend would the common humanity of these feelings and of these insecurities? Speak to yourself or write to yourself as you would a friend. Write all that comes to mind. Now I want you to step away. Take some space and come back to this letter. Read it again with an open mind and an open heart and take that advice to heart. Take that guidance to heart. Use that self-compassionate stance that you would offer another towards yourself. And in doing so, you get yourself a little bit closer towards taking a self-compassionate approach when you're offer when you're suffering or feeling a moment of disconnect. Next exercise is give yourself a timeout. So this can be done in the moment, in the moment that you notice that you're being critical of yourself, or as in the last exercise, you can conjure time in which you experienced a particular uh, shortcoming or insecurity. So notice when you're being critical of yourself, take note of the words that you use towards yourself, the tone of voice, the phrases that you use with yourself. It's easy to be critical towards ourselves in these moments. Now, what I want you to do is notice how you feel. What emotions come up when you speak to yourself in the way that you do? Notice those feelings. Notice what it does to you physically. You may feel a clenching heart. You may feel your jaws clench. You may feel butterflies in your stomach. Now I want you to challenge that negative self-talk. Talk back to the critical voice in your head. You don't have to believe everything that you say or everything that you think. I want you to challenge this nasty voice in a way that will encourage self-compassion instead of self-judgment. Tell yourself that you understand that you're anxious or nervous or worried in this moment, but that you're causing yourself extra and unnecessary pain by approaching yourself with this negative tone and negative talk. Ask this critical voice to allow a more compassionate approach instead. And now speak to yourself from a more compassionate space and more compassionate place. 
Reframing that voice is critical to offering yourself self-compassion and to preventing that often automatic uh, negative self-talk that comes into play. Finally, I want you to notice what that negative banter does to your sense of self and to your motivation. Can you notice the harmful outcome of negative self-talk in terms of losing your motivation, losing confidence, losing the ability or desire to want to do better for yourself? This negative self-talk not only is mean and hurtful, but it's disempowering. And it's removing you from a place of potential improvement to a place of stagnation. And so understanding this is the first step in turning it around. Now I want you to think of a more caring way to approach yourself. How can you motivate yourself in this moment? How can you offer words of encouragement and reassurance? Maybe you spoke to your partner negatively. Maybe you did eat all that cake and regained a few pounds. Is it really the end of the world? Is it really something that we can't turn around? How can you turn this around? What are some steps that you can take right now in order to get yourself motivated to get back on track? And you may want to engage in a writing exercise here too. Lay out the steps. What can you do? Perhaps in the first example, you can start a mindfulness meditation practice. Being mindful and engaging this practice helps our reactivity. It helps with emotional regulation. And in fact, studies show that when we are mindful, when we engage in mindfulness meditation, we help uh, promote the growth of neurons in the amygdala, in the part of that brain or our brain that actually helps with emotional uh, regulation. Maybe in terms of the eating practice or our exercising, we can write down steps to take in order to do things differently. Maybe it's a matter of cleaning up our pantry, providing yummy alternative options to that cake. Maybe it's offering ourselves alternative actions for soothing. Write these things down and give yourself a roadmap to doing things a different way. Because the best way of getting out of a rut of insecurity is to provide yourself a roadmap towards doing it a different way and having a different outcome. And I wanna end with this. When we are in those moments of failing or insecurity, we really feel like we're in a rut. We lack the imagination, quite frankly, that we can do it a different way. And so I want you to now dare to imagine a different story. It takes courage. It takes audacity to think that we can do things a different way, particularly when we get into this habitual place of doing the same things over and over. I don't care how many times you have followed the same pattern. I don't care how many years you have been doing things the same way. You are never too far, 
too old or too enable or incapable of making change. So I want you to dare to imagine that you can do it a different way. Set down your roadmap for change, engage with yourself with a self-compassionate approach and get out there and live out your dreams, your goals, and make those habits that will help you live a more fulfilling, productive life. If you like what you heard on the on the podcast today, I want you to head over to my website at dradrianudeem.com. You'll find there are tons of tips and resources to help you engage in not only mind-body techniques to cultivate better mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but also lifestyle tips and hacks to help you live better. You can find it at dradrianudeem.com. And I look forward to seeing you here on Health Bite next week for another episode. Until then, have a great week.